0: And thank you for watching this video and for participating in the Spirit of Adoption Bible Study. This is our week five of the study, and it is our third video. Um, So that means that we're a little over halfway into the study. I think right now we're scheduled to have our last session together on May 3rd. Um, I know that this message has been really important for me personally, And I'm trusting that God is using it to speak to each of you that are participating in the study alongside me. Um, If anybody has any needs or prayer requests, please don't hesitate to reach out to me or one of the other ladies. Um, In this time where we're practically alone in our day-to-day lives a lot of the time, it's so important to reach out and build intimacy with people in the ways that we can, and to lean into what the Father is giving each of us to do. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we can dive into the lesson. Father, thank you that you are near to us, nearer than our breath. When we come to you, we are responding to what you have already done. You have laid the groundwork for us to live close to you and to benefit from your presence. Help us today to lay all that is hindering us and weighing on us in your capable hands. It's too heavy for us to carry, but it is never too heavy for you. You are working in the hidden places today. You are working in the places that are causing us pain. And you are extending bridges of grace to us to draw us into your love. We believe that all of our desires are for you We come and sit in your love for us. Without us doing a thing this morning, you think well of us, you know us, and you listen to us. Thank you. Amen. In our first video, we talked about our need for intimacy with the Father and his provision for it. In our second video, We talked about the differences between spiritual orphans and adopted sons. And today we're going to talk about building intimacy with the Father. How we can start on that journey with Him. If you've been a little lost so far or felt like we've been vague, today's lesson should help you. And I hope that each of us walks away with a list of what I call intimacy bridges. Facts about the Father's heart towards you, that will be a starting place when you want to draw near to Him and live close to Him, but don't know where to begin. Not to be cheesy, but we are kind of going on a treasure hunt today um, in the Bible to discover the valuable tools and the gifts the Father has already given to us to equip us for relating to Him. One of the enemy's biggest plots against us is to deceive us about the Father's heart. If Satan can influence us to distrust God or believe lies about his good intentions, we will run from the Father. And then Satan really doesn't have to do much else because we cut ourselves off from our source of well-being and victory. I find that even after I've gone to sleep, secure in the Father's love and peace Sometimes I wake up already fearful and disbelieving. I don't think that this is an immaturity factor. This is probably not something that I will grow out of. When we sleep, the spiritual forces are still at war over our souls. The following excerpt is in your participant notes, and it's from A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by W. Philip Keller. From early dawn until late at night, this utterly selfless shepherd is alert to the welfare of his flock, for the diligent sheepman rises early and goes out first thing every morning without fail to look over his flock. It is the initial, intimate contact of the day. With a practiced, searching, sympathetic eye, he examines the sheep to see that they are fit and content and able to be on their feet. In an instant, he can tell if they have been molested during the night, whether any are ill, or if there are some that require special attention. Repeatedly throughout the day, he casts his eye over the flock to make sure all is well, nor even at night is he oblivious to their needs. "'When we sleep, we leak. (laughs) Sometimes I won't notice how much I need to be looked over and attended to by the Father until well into my day when I am anxious and low on patience or compassion for the people around me. This is why, for me, it is very important to spend a few moments with the Lord before any of my little ones wake up in the morning. Because it trains me to tune into the atmosphere of my soul and to tune in to what the father is saying to let him look him over, look me over, and to move me. this helps me not live a large part of my day believing lies or missing out on his peace and provision. For me, spending time with him in the morning helps me to pay more attention to him throughout the rest of the day because first, thing in the morning, I am reminded of how careful and caring and compassionate He is to me. I am tempted to come to Him again and again. I don't think there is only one right way or time or method to spend time with God. So I'm not telling everybody that you have to get a morning 5 a.m. wake-up call with the Lord. But I found for me, I need the Good Shepherd first thing in the morning, even when I don't realize it. And if he is rising early to have the initial intimate meeting with me, as Keller said earlier, I want to be there for that. I need this list of intentions toward me and the truth of how he treats me and feels about me to stand on for the rest of the day. And we're going to get into the list later in the lesson. The opposite of intimacy is fear. Fear works an antithesis to intimacy. No one can draw near to something or someone that they fear, so fear creates distance. But God cares about what we fear, and He speaks specifically to our individual fears and situations. If you are ever dealing with a season of intense fear, Don't just read the vague Bible verses about how you're not supposed to fear, but do a Bible gateway search for the words do not be afraid or do not fear and read all of the specific reasons we are given that enable us to live in faith instead of fear. It's another ploy of the enemy to make you, when you're already struggling with fear and anxiety, feel like also you shouldn't be afraid. That doesn't really give you a practical tool or belief or knowledge of the Lord that you can walk on to get out of your fear. So you need to go and search out the specific things that God is saying to you about your fear instead of just receiving guilt and condemnation for being there. Fear is a real enemy and it is the way of the world. Sorry, it's the way of the world. That's why it means so much for our fleshy selves to hear you don't have to be afraid. Not you shouldn't be afraid, but you don't have to be afraid of that thing that you are afraid of. Because the world says we do have to be afraid. It's our only option when we are living anywhere but in the Lord's will. To live afraid every minute of every day. Only Jesus can say that we don't have to live that way. He's the only one that gives us another option. So there are many passages in the Bible that have to do with reasons that we don't have to live in fear, but today I'm focusing on the ones that enlighten us as to the reasons we don't have to be afraid or distant from God himself. A lot of the fear-not scenarios in the Bible are followed by something personal, something from our Father God to His individual children. Sometimes these personal sayings seem out of place because they aren't the specific thing that the people in the Bible stories are fearing. They aren't fearing, for example, that their reward in life will be small. They aren't necessarily fearing that God hasn't heard them. They aren't specifically fearing that they are alone in that moment. But God's truths show His vulnerability and generosity towards the people in the Bible and towards us. And His extension of intimacy to us heals us of our fear if we let it. The personal things that He tells us and tells the people in the Bible are the stepstones that we walk on. To step out of our fear. If you're really struggling with fear, it's not just a one-time thing and it's probably not a one specific fear. It frequently causes us to have habitual mindsets, habitual paths in our mind that we follow. And the only way to fight that spiritual battle is is to stand on biblical truth, to stand on your personal, intimate relationship with Jesus and with the Father. And to hold up these truths and take one small step, one small step, little by little, out of that habit. So his extension of intimacy to us heals us of our fear if we let it. Might not be a one-time thing, but it is our healing. His helping us see Him for who He really is changes us. We see Him. We believe Him. We receive Him. We love Him. And then we draw near to Him over and over. But all of that starts with Him. It starts with what He's already done, already given, already offered. So we're going to get in to this list I'm going to literally go from Genesis to Revelation, like Curtis Foreman, and pull out scenarios in the Bible and verses in the Bible. And then after each verse, again, this is all in your participant notes if you want to follow along. After each set of verses that I read to you, I'm going to read my paraphrase of the truth and the gift that God is giving to us in that Bible scenario. Okay? It's going to be personal from God to us. We're going to start in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is the first time in the Bible that that phrase is used. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. This is our first intimacy bridge. God is saying to us here, do not be afraid. Everything that comes to you comes through me first. I take the weight and the force of the things coming against you. And you're going to get a lot out of this. You're going to like your compensation and your blessing. Genesis 16 is our next intimacy bridge. These next two have to do with Hagar. So in this situation, Sarai and Abram have been promised many offspring from the Lord, but they are getting older, and Sarai is barren, and they are getting a little bit desperate, fearful that they won't have what they need. So Sarai takes her, her outcome, her future, into her own hands, and she says to Abram, "'Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave,' Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a a wife for him. Um, So he lays with Hagar, she becomes pregnant. And when Hagar becomes pregnant, her mistress Sarai becomes contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your hands. Do what you want to do. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so much that she ran away from her. And here's the part that we really need to pay attention to. Verse 7 of Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are Elroy. For she said, In this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. So, here God is saying to us, I know where you have come from and where you are going. I am the one who sees you. I pay attention to your pain and trouble and desire, to who you are to what you go through. I see you in your daily struggles. I will take care of your future. I care about your prosperity, your well-being, your relationships, your loneliness, and your hope in life. I hear you. Let's move on a little further to Genesis 21. This is again about Hagar. At this point, Sarai or Sarah, her name's been changed, Sarah and Abraham have been able to have Isaac. And Sarah convinces Abraham to, um, to make Hagar and Ishmael go away into the wilderness. So in verse 14, Early in the morning Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance about a bow shot away. For she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. While she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin, and gave the boy a drink. Here, God is showing us his heart. What is wrong? Tell me what troubles you. I'm listening. I'm seeing. I have sent provision for you. I care about what you care about. What you see now is not the whole picture. Let me open your eyes. I am on the move in your very circumstances. Now to Genesis 26, verses 23 through 25. This is when God appears to Isaac. And the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. This is God saying, I am the God you have heard about, but not yet known personally. Don't be afraid of me, for I am now making myself known to you. All that I am is with you. All that I am is for you. I have a heart to bless you and to work your future together for your good. Come and get to know me. Let's move on to Genesis 46. (sighs) Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said, and Jacob replied, Here I am. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. This is God saying, I am the same God that has worked wonders before, and I have planned wonders for you now. You were made for such a time as this. I will go with you, and I will also bring you back. You will not be alone. You will not pass on without a legacy. Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14. But God said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. My heart is to fight for you, God says. You are weak in this place. Let me take on your enemies. Stand firm in my strength and you will see how I will save you. You may walk into battles again after today, but you won't have to face the specific enemy again because I will finish them. My victory will be for your good and my glory. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. This is God's heart. I am your one true God. My heart is not for you to be a slave, but to walk freely in a good and plentiful land. Trust me on the journey. I don't want you to turn back and miss out. I don't want you to be scared of the giants you will have to slay to take over this land. I don't want you to stay in a place with less, a place owned by others and not by you. I don't want you to have to serve cruel masters. I don't want you to rely on what you see that is a barren land. Although you are not yet thriving in a land of milk and honey, I brought you out of slavery, and I will bring you into this good land. My heart is never to leave you. I will not leave you here. Exodus 20, verse 20. Moses responded to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin." Don't be afraid of the Father, for His heart is not conniving or tricky or hard to get. He is with you in your trials, and He uses them to cleanse you, to purify you, to give you a soft heart of integrity. Who doesn't want that? See Him for who He really is. Not mean, but full of soft and powerful love for you. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous, Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. And then Psalm 27, 10. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. I am your father and I will never stop caring for you. I love to take care of you and to meet your needs, every one of them. You don't have to be scared that you won't have what you need. I will be with you. You need to learn that others cannot satisfy you. Your needs are not wrong, and they are for me to fill. First Samuel twenty sorry first Samuel twelve verses twenty through twenty two Samuel said, don't be afraid, even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. God is saying to us, My commandments are for your good and prosperity, not for my ego or to take away all your fun. This is the way of life for you. This is the way of life for you. Repentance, forgiveness, grace, discipline. They look a lot different than what you think. They are gifts. Turning aside to follow idols will only cause you more pain and heartache. Even when you have sinned, you can still turn to me and worship me. I will never leave you. Even if you mess up, I will still work in you to make you my own. Isaiah 44, verses 2 and 3. This is the word of the Lord your Maker, the one who formed you from the womb. He will help you. Do not fear Jacob, my servant, upright one whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. This is God saying to us, My heart is always to satisfy the parched land. From the time that I formed you, I have helped you and worked towards pouring out my satisfying spirit on you. Do not fear me, for I have chosen you to bless you and to make you fruitful. Daniel 10, verses 12 and then 18 through 19. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come. Then the one with a human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid. You who are treasured by God. Peace to you. Be very strong. I am the God who hears you and answers you immediately. I fight to answer you and to provide for you. I fight for you to be close to me. I treasure you. I give my peace to you. I make you strong. Luke 1, 11-13 An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. God says to us, do not fear. I have listened to you and heard your desire and your prayer. When nobody else listens or hears or sees you, God does. Luke 1, 28-30 And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God says to us, Do not be afraid of me. I think highly of you. I think well of you. I like you. My intention is to bless you. Luke 2.10 But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. God is saying, don't be afraid. I tell you good things to increase your joy. Even a rebuke is meant to increase your life and joy. Luke 12, 32, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. It delights God to be your father, to teach you and instruct you and help you to save you. We're almost done. John 14 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled, troubled, or fearful. The Father says, I am a good giver. I give to you out of my own resources, and I don't give like the world. My gifts don't look like the things of the world. And lastly, Revelation 1, verses 17 through 18 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. God the Father invites us into his story and his victory. This list goes from Genesis to Revelation. From the beginning, God has been calling us to Himself, revealing His character, showing us over and over what He wants and who He is, being vulnerable with us, and inviting us to be vulnerable with Him. This is the Father's heart. This is His great and unfailing love for us. He has paid the price for us to live close to Him because it matters to Him. Let's stand on the truth and not fall for worthless idols or fakes. An idol is anything that exalts itself above the one true God. That means when we believe lies about God's heart or intentions, we are making a new idol. In Hosea, God says that Ephraim, or his child, paid for love. That's in Hosea 8-9. The idea that our idolatry is adultery against the Lord is echoed throughout the Bible, the Old Testament specifically. But this one line sticks out to me. How often do we pay for a lesser version of a love that is already freely offered to us? What is the cost for going after the cheaper, tainted, counterfeit version of the abundant, extravagant, pure love of God. There is a cost that we pay to go after our idols. Hosea also says, Let us strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. It's in Hosea 6, verse 3. His promises are sure. Of all the things we could strive for, when we strive to know him, it is a sure thing that he will come and meet with us. We may wait for a while, but he will come to us like the rain. God longs to satisfy our need for his love. He says in Hosea six six, for I desire faithful love and sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burning. What does God want? Our faithful love, instead of striving and sacrifice, instead of a better behavior or a better outcome. He desires that our love for Him would grow as we live in His love for us. People that love God honestly and know His love for them love others well. There isn't a shortcut. I pray that we will continue to get to know him as he really is, wild and true, good, compassionate, powerful and fierce, large, adventurous, holy, breathtaking, and unbelievably kind. He is the God who sees us.